Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. So, who wants to talk about Hitler? Just raise your hand. Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that was terrible. Bad. All right. Does it really matter what you believe? Really? People question that all the time. Does it really matter what you believe? Is it really important? This is paramount for us right now in this country because universally, typically, most all Christians, Christ followers, I don't want to say Christian, I will call them Christ followers, believe that what you, mat- what you believe in matters. You know, think about your home and health. Think about all of that, how you view that. Think about all that we've been through from vaccinations. What's the purpose of a vaccination? It's to inoculate you so that if you do come in contact with the real virus, which could potentially be deadly, you should survive. It, you should be inoculated and immune. That's also with antibodies, people who've had the virus before but now produce antibodies that are resistant. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine this week, someone I respect, and we were talking about various isms, and communism came up, and he said, well, you know, communism is just an idea. It's in In Germany, it was democratic socialism, but communism, he said, is just an idea. And I said, that's true. Everything starts out with an idea. And there are either good ideas or bad ideas. And what happens is when ideas turn into actions, that's when everything changes. So you may have a theory of God's love, and you may believe in his love, But the moment you start to put that into practice, the world around you begins to change. And if you have an ideology that, and a perspective that hates and hatred of other people and denigrating other people is the way to go, okay, when you put that into action, everything changes. And you're either a force for evil or for good. Here's a point. Evil seeks power at any cost, okay? Evil seeks power at any cost. Love pursues the liberation of people. Jesus came to set the captives free. And that's multiple levels. That's all over. Evil, okay, for whatever it says, however it lies to you, how, whatever the promises are, the actions, once they're set into play, are, care less about a human being, the individual, and more about their ideology, which bolsters and lifts them up into power. It's satanic, it's evil, and it has been a part of humanity from the beginning. All right, let's talk about Hitler. I'm not going to give you every detail. There's so many books that I've read, many of you have, so many published documentaries, movies. We know when we mention the name Hitler, I was wanted to teach about love versus evil, but evil seems somewhat ethereal. There is a practical uh, analogy that we find in Hitler and the Third Reich. 
Nazis. And so I was listening to a podcast, uh, someone I enjoy, a writer from stream.org, uh, John Zmirak. And he had mentioned a book that recently came out. It's a very good one. Uh, I finished it earlier this week. Uh, <clears throat> it's Richard Weichart, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich, Hitler's Religion. Um, there's a lot of books out there, very well written. I will warn you, though, if you go down that road, it talks about Nazis a lot. <laughs> I remember one summer I, I got Winston Churchill's The Gathering Storm, and I, I just loved Churchill, and I, I was so excited to fly fish and read Churchill. And I got about a third way into the book, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Carl's like, what's the matter? I said, I love Churchill, but... This book is about Nazis. <laughs> I can't stand <laughs> what they produced in the world. But in his earlier life, you know, he grew up in Germany, a Germany that was coming out of World War I and devastation, economic damage. But there was a state church, state-sponsored churches in Germany. You had the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. And so your tax dollars would go to support them. He grew up in a Catholic school and oftentimes mentioned his disdain for the priest and for his instructors and felt that they had no real value at all in the world. It was a time in history when people were paying close attention to various philosophies that were abounding at that time and proliferating even before, in the century before. Philosophies such as Darwinism, Immanuel Kant, Arthur Schopenhauer, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Also, there were eugenics. And if you don't know much about eugenics, do yourself a favor and go read a little bit this afternoon. It will shock you and how much effect it has had in our culture and around the world. He was also, at that time, very prominent anti-Semitic philosophies. And they played into this scientistic... Um, worldview that sees that what is sci proved by science and can be proven and known should supersede that or anything that we would call religious. He wasn't necessarily anti-church. Eventually he came to be because he saw that the real resistance to what he was doing, and it had always been uh, from the beginning was Christians and Jews, as well as others. But here's the deal. Richard Reichardt believes this. He said, Hitler, I have concluded, that his religion was pantheism. If you don't know what that is, that means you just, everything sort of pans out. No, I mean, it means that like, all nature and everything around is God and the entire cosmos himself. Okay, he said, Hitler's devotion to nature as a divine being had a grim corollary. The laws of nature became his infallible guide to morality. Whatever formed, conformed to the laws of nature was morally good, and whatever contravened nature and its ways were evil. <clears throat> when Hitler explained how he hoped to harmonize human society with the scientific laws of nature, he emphasized principles derived from Darwinian theory, especially the racist forms of Darwinianism prominent among Darwin's German disciples. Okay, when he came into power and when he was campaigning and so forth, he, he would make statements that seemed very Christian. 
One of the things you know when the evil is at foot and power is the commodity, lies abound. Lies abound. Because he, he said, he made statements, allusions to our Lord Jesus Christ. But nothing could have been further from the truth. For his philosophy, his religion was one in which, as Nietzsche put it, you had the emergence of the superman, the superhuman. He believed that the races followed in rank, that not all races were created evil, equal. They weren't. There were those who were higher, the Germans fit on top, and then lower down further as you go. And these folks were, may still be human, however, there came a category of subhuman. And this bolstered within him and with it all, it wasn't just him by himself, there were so many who jumped in on the Nazi party and was sold to the country that he began to take on a Messiah complex. In the Second German Empire, 1871 through 1918, the common national slogan was one Volk, which means people or Germanic people, one empire, one God. One Volk, one empire, one God, okay? But as time went on and the Fuhrer began to be seen as God's, okay, emissary here on the earth acting in his stead, okay, the phrase turned to one empire, one Volk, one Fuhrer. This new slogan, which was widely disseminated in the Third Reich, postage stamps, the Fuhrer has replaced God. The two years earlier, Ley, who had gathered Nazi officials in confessing faith in God, who had sent had sent the Fuhrer in 1938, the Confession of Faith did not even mention God and seemed to imply that Hitler was now filling his shoes. Wasn't this just some kid who went to art school? How, how all of a sudden did this one person rise and millions of people follow after to their doom? How did that happen? Because ideas, when enacted, play out, and we get to see what they look like, okay? Evil, when embraced, whatever form, when it is acted upon and put into practice, will produce suffering and death and horrific crimes against human beings. That's just the way it works. Your history tells us that. Here's something great for you. This is a new song we maybe... They'll be singing it here soon. In 1934, the Nuremberg rally, Hitler Youth wrote this song and sung it at the rally. I'll read you just a little bit. We are the joyful Hitler Youth. We need no Christian virtue, for our Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, is ever our mediator. No pastor, no evil one can hinder us from feeling as Hitler's children we will not follow Christ away with the incense and the holy water. The church can be taken away from me. 
The swastika is redemption on earth, and I will f- it, it I will follow everywhere, everywhere. Now, you have to realize that this happened in a very short period of time. Change came quickly in the country. It wasn't the outright persecution of the church that he desired. His God was the created realm. And he saw it as that the church had a benefit at some point because it, it would address ex- existential ideology that science could not do, okay? By the way, I'm not anti-science at all. I'm just trying to put this into something that we can grasp and, and talk about for a very short time here. But the real goal was secularization, to see the church as a part, sort of like an old piece of furniture that is still around and there's some purpose for it, but when it comes to practical, real living, not pie in the sky, heaven and hell, but real practical life, leave that to us. Owen Chadwick defines secularization as a growing tendency in mankind to do without religion or try to do without religion. Chadwick links the decline of interest in religion in the vanishing belief in miracles and supernatural intervention in the world. Thus, secularization does not necessarily mean that people completely abandon belief in God, but it means that God becomes irrelevant to one's practical life. Sound familiar? Religion becomes restricted to the personal realm, having minimal impact on political, economic, or social life. Social life. This is how he dealt with the religions. He stated, we will protect the German priest who, are, who is a servant of God, but we will destroy the priest who is practically a, pract- a political enemy of the German Reich. Once again, Hitler's offer of religious liberty did not include the right to contradict anything that the government did, even if the regime was violating basic Christian morality. You see, if there was a contradiction, you, you can exist, but keep your mouth shut. Don't read these passages. Skip those. Fall in line and get on board with what's going on with me. In my world. Now, you say, well, where are you going with this, Dave? Okay. This was coupled with the belief in the inferiority of, rela- of, of races. And with that came propaganda. Propaganda is lies. Propaganda builds up a case against an enemy. And if you're going, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but if you're going to start a mass movement, take over a country, or do something diabolical and evil, you have to establish an enemy. And so they picked the Jews, but there were also others who were considered subhuman. They had been involved in most of the financial industries, and it was an easy pick. But the people went along. If you've ever seen any of the literature of the characterization that they'd made of Jews, they made them out to be the worst people in the world who had done the worst evil in the world, and they were the problem. But here's the good news. We have science on our side, and and because of our beliefs, we now can prove that they are subhuman. 
That means that we can do what we want to. And in fact, if, if my God is the planet, if my God is the created realm, if my God uh, is the one who created natural selection and the survival of the fittest, then I am a servant of my God. That makes sense? All right. It's quiet in here. Everybody's awake. I'm going to talk about Hitler a lot. Uh, Okay. We know that's bad. We see the evil in that. We can see the satanic tentacles moving this forward. But my friends, it's not restricted to Nazi Germany. In fact, you see earlier forms of it in the church. You say, how could this be? Well, I'm sorry. It seems that whenever there is a desire for power, evil is close by. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or whatever. If, if the highest value you hold is power and authority and gaining that power, whatever you need to do to get it, and to maintain that and whatever you need to do to keep it, you fall into the same trap and category. There were so many people persecuted in the name of God because we had the Holy Roman Empire. And it's been stated it was neither holy nor Roman. Now, think about the Inquisition. Was that a high mark in the Christian church era? If you don't know about the Inquisition, write it down. Go read about it tonight and be horrified. But people would make you give a confession, and they would torture you until you did, in the name of Jesus. And some would say, well, Hitler was a Christian. Well, yeah, right. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean that your ideas match up with what Jesus said, or your actions do so. That's why ideas are so important, because ideas are like viruses. A virus wants to survive, and so it looks for a host, and looks for another host, and what I believe and what I have, I now pass on to someone else, and it continues from person to person to person to person, corrupting, killing, corrupting, destroying. Ideas and what people talk about are really important. Now, I am not for the suppression of ideas. I am for freedom of speech. That's why I'm able to speak here. So I will stand up for anybody's right to speak publicly. However, I do believe that we have an environment where we should challenge ideas. We should challenge ideas in a a godly way, in a humble way, but nonetheless challenge. Think about the American church. We're so good. We have freedom and the Constitution. I, I love the Constitution. I love freedom. But the church in large portions of this land was racist. So much so horrible. I, I watched a documentary last night on uh, Flannery O'Connor, um, great, brilliant author. And she lived in the South and wrote about the South. But, but there, were, there was so much <laughs> wrong with Protestant belief at that time because some would say, you know, I hate, I hate the Jews, I hate, I hate the black folks, 
and I'm saying the nice word, I'm not, but, and I hate the Jews, then I hate the Catholics. Coming from a Protestant, believing that somehow that represents Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll bring it up more next week, but Hitler was impressed with the racism in the U.S. and was inspired by it. That's how holy we are. That's how good we are. Right? This had, this was madness to have a Christian endorsement. But evil seeks power at any cost. Love pursues the liberation of people. Love pursues the liberation of people. Here's the key. Reichardt pronounces here, he said, Hitler's Darwinism inspired moral code calling for the eradication of the weak, the sick, and those deemed inferior rather than universal love. And that has been my contention for years. People who like to talk about we're just species is growing, the survival of the fittest. I'm like, why do we have hospitals? Let's just let the weak die off. If you really believe that, why don't you just say, you know what? You're going to die in a couple of years. See you later. Why? Why? Because there's a different ethic at work. There's a different moral idea that is present. Okay? Now, his beliefs he embraced totally with his life, and it changed the world for worse. If you believe, if you truly believe that other people are less, or or people are less than, inferior to you because of their race or whatever it may be, be careful. Be careful. You might find yourself doing some evil, stinking, horrible things. This was Hitler think. Now, let's go to Jesus. Love think. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read you the whole thing. This is a different sermon. I know that. It's going to be uncomfortable. Fine. It's uncomfortable to, <laughs> to put this thing together. But I'm going to read to you some uh, things from Scripture that many of you know, but I want you to listen to them in the context of what I just told you. Okay? Because we have source documents from the one we call Messiah. We have source documents, eyewitnesses, that will allow us to peer back to its inception when it began. Jesus said, as the people gathered to him, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, when they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom uh, kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We often wonder, why were there so many people that were a part of this plan? The, The concentration camps, the death camps, the gas chambers. Dr. Mengele and his sick, twisted torture of Jewish people. Why, why, why are we so, why are we wondering how that, what kind of evil could do that? Simply, it's your belief. They're superior, we're superior, they're the problem, this is the survival of the fittest, this is the way that nature wants it, and we're just going along with it. Screams would be heard from surrounding communities from these encampments. And, and one uh, person stated that at night, almost in unison, when the screams would start, we would roll up our windows and close the doors and not listen. Friends, Jesus came to set captives Jesus loves the poor, the broken, the hurt, the injured, the weak. Jesus knows nothing of the survival of the fittest. Jesus, his ideas, his thinking was love. You see, he believed that the strong on the earth were given for the protection of the weak. Not the strong to destroy the weak as inferior. That's satanic. That's a hatred of human beings. Whenever you find a deep hatred of human beings, Satan and his minions are nearby. Jesus, on the other hand, elevated. Elevated the poorest and the weakest. You see the difference? Verse 18 of Matthew 12. Here's my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, who I delight in. Jesus is reading and quoting from Isaiah. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, a little twig, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he won't snuff out that he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will place their hope. You see, so you can have an idea about God, but that idea still may cause you to hate and denigrate and promote the demise of other people. Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 11, or he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One seeks to elevate, to heighten, to free. 
the other seeks the demise. Why do I bring this up? Because we're living in a time, we've been living in one, where ideas are swirling around in every direction. But I've seen some things lately that have caused me alarm in that there is a conscious move and propaganda from I don't know exactly where to begin to marginalize once again a group of people and say that a certain group of people are to blame and that they are the problem. And it's like, listen, there's an old saying, it's a good one. That's why it's stuck around. If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Or you could say, if you don't know history, you're never going to know how to mess up the next generation. But anyway, patterns emerge. And because you have a biblical world perspective, you understand that when these patterns start, that certain actions will follow. And when you see propaganda against anybody, well, get ready. It's time to buckle up and be prepared. You see, Christianity doesn't work well when it's on top. It will, it, it, it can't. We serve under we, a Messiah, and without his physical presence, there will always, it'll be somewhat problematic. That's why he has promised come, to come back and to rule and to set everything right with the nations. Okay? Because he has that authority, he has that ability, and he wants to set people free. Now, the difference in all of this is that if we somehow attach ourselves as believers, as Christ followers, to something that is contradictory to everything that we believe, then we can find ourselves on the wrong side of history and on the wrong side of evil. Christianity, whenever it gets real political power, is corrupted. It's corrupted. You see, Jesus, if you follow his teachings at all, he said that you guys will be the ones, we will be the ones who are killed. We're not the ones that do the killing. We're the ones that get killed. Now, I'm not talking about standing up for those who are hurt, for those who are weak. We should. And I'm thankful that the world stepped in to stop this madness of the Third Reich. It was necessary, and it was their fault for starting it. But believers, we've got something different. Historically, when we do best is usually when we're the ones being killed. That's the hardest thing I've had to say today. I love comfort. I love it. Come sit on my couch. My buddy called me and said, hey, man, can I come over and hang out this afternoon? He said, I love your couch. So comfortable. Me and, that, me and my buddy are going to be on that couch later this afternoon. And I just said, you can come over, but... Sunday afternoon, there's a real high probability that I'm falling asleep right after I eat. And he said, dude, that's what I mean, that couch, bro. It's huge. I'd like to say everything should be prosperous and wonderful. And, and, and when you put God's 
principles into practice, man, your life gets better and better. But not everybody likes it. Jesus, some of his parting words said, the whole world will hate you because of me. Anybody put that on a postcard? Send it to a friend who's depressed? Those are big words. That's what happens. That's when when things really get big. But Jesus said we do have a purpose in this world. We preach the gospel to set the captives free. But also he called us to be light and salt. Matthew 5 verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is why we study the Bible every week. Because we can't go back 50 to 100 years to figure out how to be a Christian. We can't go back to the Inquisition and learn how to be a Christian. We can't go back when people were filled with racist thoughts against black people and Jews in this country and find out how to be a Christian, okay? Every generation is left to, be, to figure it out and to live it out publicly, and it's never going to be right. History will always, as we look back on what we're doing now, they will be able to critique us because we're not going to do everything right. But we have to figure it out all together, every generation. And that's why the Bible is so important. Because if we, do, if we neglect our source document, that is really straightforward. It's very Jewish. It doesn't have a lot of theological ter- terms and, and all of the stuff I spent so much of my life reading. We go back to the source document, and then we try to figure out how to live that in our current situation. That's why we're doing this, okay? Because this idea of God being the creator God who sent his only begotten son to the world that who would ever, to die on a cross and was resurrected so that anybody who believed in him might have life and life eternal, everlasting. We believe that. So because we believe that, it moves us into action. And we read the document. We read this document again and again, and we get in communities, and we pray, and we we spend time with the Holy Spirit, and we work that out. How can we be light and salt? How can we do this? Imperfectly, okay? How do we do this imperfectly? Knowing that our best attempts will be imperfect, but our best attempts are worth it. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, you see. Training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, God has saved us, but he saved us for a mission for the world. It's not us against the world. Jesus said, it hates you. It hated me, it's going to hate you. But we're for the world. We believe that God created every human being in his image, the Imago Dei. And there they are important and weak as they are, lame as they are, angry and bummed out as they are. We see God's love in that and then we find the tenets of grace and humility that believes that human beings matter. But if you have an idea that this is all just happenstance, then why not kill off the weak? Why not? What's wrong? You only know it's wrong because you've got this to hold on to. It isn't naturally seen within humanity that it's wrong. People have exterminated different people groups throughout world history. But we don't. We try to learn to love and to be the people that will honor Christ. And we don't get it right all the time, most of the time not. I am not a great example of getting everything right. But I believe in it so much I want to try. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. We're going to have to repent. There's a lot of things that go on in life. But if you really believe it, then we have to live it. If you really believe that, that Jesus said, you're a preservative in the world. Did you know that? You being a flavor to life, did you know that? You're supposed to be light and letting people see the light. You know when it's dark in a room, you're looking for something, and somebody turns on the light? You just, don't you just love that? I do. This is important because next week we're continuing this, but our title of our message is Love Versus Complacency. And we're going to look at how mega movements start and how they can be met with preservative, with goodness, with God's kingdom. You see, you play a part in this world. And, I, and I'm, if you're not a Christ follower, I ask you to, to think about this. I'm not exaltating Christians. I, I, I don't think Christians are better than anybody else, any, in any way superior. I think they've been humbled in many ways because they're willing to accept what God has to say. And however that plays out. But what, what, I, what I want you to know is that now is the time 
to focus on our document and go back and reassess and move forward because it will inoculate you to possibly drifting into oncoming traffic. It will inoculate you from being a part of something that could potentially become very evil. Okay? That's why we look for the Bible link. I love what Paul said. You know, love is the big deal. See, Dave, we've been talking about, you know why? Because God brought it up. Jesus brings it up. And we rarely view it as something powerful. But not God. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It's not keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, okay? Always hopes, always protects, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Next week, we're going to talk about how you can be engaged and not feel that you have to sit back and just watch and comment and criticize, but move into action. Action that the world around you needs. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you're like the plumb line that we come back to to see what's true. And you examine our own lives and, and your Holy, Holy Spirit convicts us. But Lord, also the responsibility we have to the people around us and to the community that we live in, not to do harm, but to bless and to honor and to do good, giving respect. Lord, I pray that your love, your love will be more powerful than all evil. Greater is he, Lord, you who are in us than he who is in the world. May we be shrewd as serpents, Lord, and innocent as doves. For your kingdom and for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and we'll sing. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. 
May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.